0: Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. Our guest today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. What's well, up, Chris? Thanks, Dan. Well, so Chris, um, we've had a lot of job data in the last seven days. You know, last Friday the markets ripped higher on unexpected May job increase that we thought over two and a half million. Um, and then this morning, where you know we're recording this on, uh, on Thursday, the June 11th, this morning we get initial the jobless claims of 1.5 million. Um down approximately about three three hundred and fifty thousand from uh from last week. The pandemic unemployment assistant initial claims were down uh we sorry, we're we're about seven hundred thousand, which is again, you know, down about another hundred thousand from the prior week. So um yeah, the most important overall may very well be the continuing claims. Um those were twenty point nine million and again, you know, we see these trending down, uh down three hundred and forty thousand from the last week. So you know the first question for you today is you know, with what appears to be a big job claim, a uh, job gain in May. Uh, coincided with continued elevated weekly and initial continuing claims. Yeah, how should investors incorporate this un- unemployment data into their investment outlook?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really important to keep it all in perspective. Um, and, and we just need to recognize, too, that jobs data is, over a short period of time, fairly inaccurate and, and subject to wild swings. So if you step back and acknowledge that and you know, the BLS has acknowledged that there was some uh, what I'd call coding errors. Where they were including, you know, some 4 million furloughed employees as working. So the aggregate statistics may be a little mushy as to what the weekly change is, but you can take away a couple of things. One, it's not getting worse, and it looks like it's starting to get better. Um, now, what that rate of improvement will be, we really don't know yet. While it's encouraging to see, you know, job gains of $2.5 in May versus what was expected to be several million in job losses, I, all that really, in my mind, changes is when the bottom occurred and when the rate of change of improvement occurred. And while people were expecting it to occur in June, maybe we got some of it in May, um, and that's all that it means. And the other thing to think about is when you look at the job gains and you look at the continued elevated initial claims relative to continuing claims, it, it would seem to be that a lot of those initial claims were, were bringing back furloughed workers, or pardon me, not the initial claims, the initial job gains, are kind of bringing back these furloughed workers. Um, and what we really need to think about and watch is how much because we still are at very elevated levels for the initial claims you know when we look at the role that ppp program has played in supporting economic activity and what i mean by that is that the unemployment benefits the payroll subsidies have been much greater than what was actually lost within the private sector so you know, we've had to put a lot of stimulus in place and a lot of what I would call artificial income support. And I say artificial because it, it can't be sustained in perpetuity. So the, the federal government is subsidizing private income at an unsustainable level, and that's what's leading to these rates of change and modest improvement. So we really need to watch this and think, look, they're going to make some adjustments to the unemployment benefits. Uh, They're going to try to correct for the fact that many people are making more now than they were when they were working, uh, which means income may be coming down, and we got to get to this self-reinforcing economic cycle in order... Uh, for the markets to be comfortable in general, but really so that the federal government can reduce its role and not need to continue to increase its role uh, as we move through the year. So the one takeaway for sure, it doesn't look like it's getting worse. Uh, it's starting to improve. The concern is it's doing so with a lot of artificial support, and we need to, we need to see it become organic, self-reinforcing recovery.
0: All right. So, so you meant government, you meant, mentioned artificial support. Um, maybe I'll ask you a question about the Fed here then. How's that? Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we, the Fed announced this week that, you know, interest rate policy remained unchanged, uh, but the Fed did commit to continuing quantitative easing at current levels and to continue reinvesting principal and interest for the foreseeable future. So, uh, you know, Chairman Powell, he indicated that the current rate environment will remain in place into 2022, um, really pushing out the horizon there. So, you know, I guess, you know, what are, your, what are your takeaways from from this interest rate policy that's been announced?
1: Yeah, and I, I think what Chair Powell's trying to do is verbally use yield curve control. So he knows he needs to start pinning rates lower, right? And rates have been quite volatile in the last two weeks for a whole host of reasons. And we know there's a lot of bill supply coming. And so by he's stating he effectively is saying when you look at our economic projections and when you look at the modest recovery but we're going to get to you know a fairly recovered state in in exiting 2021 into 2022 yet we're not even going to think about raising rates he's signaling to the market that hey we're not going to raise rates we're going to try to let the the economy run hot Uh, we're not going to be the problem here. We're not going to end this expansion, and we're going to remain accommodative until we get everybody back to work. So he's saying, look, the Fed's out of the way, um, and it's up to the market. Now, the real issue is high rates weren't the problem. High rates are not the issue with the economy. The real issue is is debt levels and and misallocation of capital. Uh, But he's essentially saying, I'm going to try to use my verbal cues to control the yield curve, I don't wanna to have to ramp up purchases to control the yield curve. And we'll see if it works. Uh, the reality is uh, I, I think it, it, the Fed's gonna have a very difficult time controlling the longer end of the curve should, you know, as we were discussing employment, should we continue to have to print money and subsidize the economy And to the extent where we're going to be running, you know, 50, 100 percent annualized GDP from a QE subsidy, subsidizing fiscal spend standpoint, the long end of the curve is going to start moving much higher in that environment. And that would force the Fed's hands. That's why I say the self-reinforcing economic recovery really needs to take hold uh, for the Fed to be able to get out of the way and for them to be successful.
0: Right. Um, and, you know, this kind of, kind of somewhat alludes to liquidity and, and one of the topics that we've, we've discussed at length is just the ability for liquidity to drive uh, assets in, in the marketplace. And, um, you know, I guess I'm wondering for you, you know, it has to be somewhat of a, of a relief to see that the Fed has no longer plans to taper their quantitative easing and that they're going to continue to purchase treasuries and other securities. Um, And I think that the number was somewhere around 80 billion per month. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that level of quantitative easing? And do you think it's sufficient to support the equity markets as we see them today?
1: Yeah, that was really important because on their current plan, they would have been tapering their purchases. And in my own opinion, that would have just been a train wreck for markets because by the end of the year, the Treasury issuance would have outpaced their purchasing and that would start again, uh, uh, kind of crimping liquidity and, and bringing more volatility back into the market. So it is positive to see that they're going to continue at at least this $80 billion a month. You know, unfortunately, I'm in, I'm in the camp where I think you have to continually increase your rate of QE if you want to sustain markets. Just maintaining a level of QE while the federal government is leveraging up. Is really going to be insufficient because incrementally over time, a portion of that QE is just going to refi uh, existing debt. It's paying interest. It's paying higher, you know, Medicare costs, Social Security costs, all of those elements. So it pulls away what's ultimately available for financial assets. So I think it's important that they recognize that they don't, they can't continue to taper. I think it's important that they do remain at least at their current level i suspect what's going to happen is to the extent the fed does need to increase their qe they will and i really think the feds trying to take the role and say look we're going to make sure the markets are functioning we're going to try to dampen volatility as much as possible and chair powell reiterated this in his com- in his in his uh press conference and during q a where he was saying look this is on the fiscal side. We need greater fiscal spend, and now the Federal Reserve is moving into the camp of they're going to support fiscal activity. So, I mean, we just need to get rid of the concept that the Fed is independent. The Fed and the Treasury are, are working together, and quite frankly, with what we're facing, they need to be working together.
0: Right, and and, and what we're facing, and and hasn't it has been you know just really quite bizarre. I mean, this, what a crazy week we've seen for the market. Um, you know, just huge swings on a day to day basis. We're back to seeing, you know, uh, you know, hundred plus basis point move, um, regularly. And you know, if I look at back at the, the S equal weight, you know, we're now, you know, back, uh, back to where we were in, in the middle of 2018. Right. We've, we've, we've rewound the clock about two years. Um, and Monday of this past week, you know, we, we saw what, um, you know, I would describe as something along like a dash for trash, right? It's the most heavily shorted stocks, um, bankrupt companies, right. And those are leading the markets higher. Um and then again, you know, this morning we saw the Dows down four percent. Small caps are just getting smoked. They're down about six percent today. Um the ten year treasury peaked at ninety two basis points, um, and it's kicking off around sixty seven bits. So uh you know, we've seen a big spike in COVID the last couple of or the last few days over the flex states. Uh it looks like there's you know rising concerns regarding a second wave of the virus. Um not not um uh, you know not great not great ideas there that were we're throwing out. So um, I guess the question you know around all that is, you know, do you think the market's truly concerned about a second wave of the virus, um, or do you think this is a correction is, is a he- healthy consolidation of, of what we've seen in recent gains?
1: You know, I like you said there's only one way to describe the week. It's been bizarre, you know, in the in the 20 years I've been watching markets, Monday was the strangest day I've ever seen. Uh, but it's not to be unexpected when we have this much liquidity. So I I think it's a little bit of everything you described. So, you know, if we kind of unpack where we are in the market, and as we talked about, you just kind of have to respect the cycle. We have to go through the different stages. And at some points in time, the market's going to be ahead of where we are in the cycle. And at other points in time, it's going to be behind where we are in the cycle. So, you know, at the end of March, it was behind where we were. And you know, uh, you know, as of two days ago, we were ahead of, of where we are in the cycle. Um, the way I would I would kind of think about it is, let's first look at the virus. Are we going to have a second wave? Well, when you look at the aggregate national data, the national data has only been improving because New York was improving. The rest of the country was stable to starting to see rise aces. So. You know that's where you know statistics and aggregated statistics can be a little bit misleading. So are we going to see an increase in, in, in infections? Yes. Right? I mean, until we have a vaccine, that's what we're going to see. Now, from a market standpoint, should we be concerned that we're going to shut down again? We're not going to shut the economy down again. We can't shut the economy down again. I mean, not only is there not the political will, there's no way to enforce the shutdown at this point. So. We closed to build capacity within the healthcare system. We've done that. We've reopened. We're starting to see a pickup in case rates. People are learning more about how to treat the virus. People are learning more about how to protect themselves from the virus. We've already changed behaviors. So this gets back to what we've described from the very beginning, which is this is not gonna be a V-shaped economic recovery. We're gonna see a sharp bounce off the bottom then it's going to be a much slower grind. So now we're getting into that grind standpoint. So what does this mean for the markets? It means, you know, in March and April, the reopening of the economy was a benefit to markets. It was something to look forward to. It's no longer getting worse. And it's a benefit because the markets were at such a low level that they could move higher on that news. Now that the market has moved, as you stated, like, you know, we recovered to where we were break-even for the year. We've pulled back from those levels. But then the reopening becomes a liability for the market. And what I mean by that is when you fully recovered, the PE multiples have expanded, assuming that the earnings are going to come through. So that rate of change and improvement can't disappoint the market. And when it does or concerns arise, the market's going to correct. So, you know, this is at very much a – it's kind of a two-prong correction, too far, too fast, So we're doing a healthy consolidation. Yet at the same time, there's there's real, real concern about what is going to be the level of fundamental improvement exiting 2020 and 2021. So you put those two together, that's a recipe for a fairly sharp uh, correction, and I think that's what we're going through right now. The other thing that's interesting is the last few weeks, the characteristics of market participants have changed. So, you know, you hate to see it happen, but we've seen retail flows really increase in the last few weeks. And they've increased at such a rate that they're much larger than even share buybacks were last year. So, unfortunately, it looks like retail's coming in right at the peak again, kind of consistent with you know, what you described on Monday, which is this dash for trash. And those are typically weak hands. So, you know, you get a correction, you get one day, they, they'll they try to fight it. If you get two or three days, they step away. Um, and somebody has to step in to fill those shoes. And I just think we're going to remain, you know, it's going to be a choppy market. We've recovered and now we need the economy to do the same thing. So we're going to see this volatility. It's going to be with us for some time.
0: And you mentioned, you know, you're starting to see a a ramp up from retail assets coming into the equity market. Where do you you think those flows are coming from? Do you think those are coming from people who had had cash and and were waiting for the market to stabilize again uh, or what would appear um, from a numbers basis, a stabilization? Or do you think that's coming up from some other asset class, something maybe like fixed income as as they look uh, at a bleak future for fixed income and uh, maybe some other opportunities elsewhere?
1: I, I think it's really coming from cash that was on the sidelines and whether that was stimulus payments received by employees, um and, and households, or was it whether it was just from you know cash that was raised during the market sell off in you know February and March and they you know feel like they missed it and they need to get back in so they're coming back in. I do think it was cash on the sidelines. Credit flows have actually been fairly strong they were really strong a few weeks ago uh, and and they kind of tapered off a little bit which is going to be concerning and as we've talked about over the last several weeks you know the euro dollar market continues to say you know more volatilities ahead and it's going to be a very slow recovery um, you know my concern is that when i look at uh you know market activity as soon as you get these price spikes in the market you're seeing a lot of issuance. Uh, you're seeing in the distressed sectors companies going out, raising debt, raising equity, um, which to me is is not a, a positive sign. It's consistent with what we talked about at the end of the first quarter, which is, you know, this cycle is going to be about balance sheet repair. It's going to be about consolidating excess capacity. And all of those things are not conducive to valuations. So the fundamentals are kind of playing out as expected. Well, good. Well, I think that's a great recap of the week, which was uh, you know
0: quite quite a week that we just ran through. So hopefully things settle down a bit uh, before our next recording, and uh, look forward to, to seeing what lies ahead for us here. So thank you, Chris. You bet. Thank you, Thanks. Dan. Information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform.